And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to this morning's show. Of course, it is Wednesday hump day as we get through the middle of the week, getting ready to wrap up the month of April, and it's cold outside. I don't know what's going on this morning, but... Yeah, here it is, late April, and it's like 60 degrees. It's not cold, right? It's 60 degrees, but still, you know. Air conditioned. I know, right? <laughs> Just, it's all good. Save yeah. it on electricity. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we need right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> so my my wife uh, works. Uh, of course, she works in uh, literally upstairs from our studio right now. And uh, she was telling me yesterday that uh, you know one of the guys she works with he used to drive a big truck and he sold his truck and he he has to drive into Houston a lot. So he he thought he would buy a Tesla to save on gas, right? And he just, he was complaining. He says, I just can't win. He says, now because electricity prices are going up, I'm paying more to charge my car than I was to pay for gas. So there you go. You know, he just, he's very frustrated at this point. He's like, no matter what I do, can't win. Ride a bicycle. Exactly. Uh, okay, a couple of things this morning. Um, Markets were down fairly sharply yesterday, and you know we had talked about previously, kind of in our daily commentaries, that a retest of the March lows was likely. Um, we said yesterday that we had retested that March low, bounced off of it, and that was what happened on Monday. We had that good reversal. Markets actually ended up positive. Unfortunately, yesterday, Markets opened down and then went down all day, and we actually closed right at those March lows. So that is now very critical support for the market. Markets remain very oversold. All, all, pretty much all of our technical indicators are getting into pretty oversold territory. And the put-call ratio yesterday, now this is the number of people buying puts versus the number of people buying calls. And these are, of course, we're talking about we're talking about options on equities where people are buying puts on equities to hedge risk, right? So they're now betting on the markets going even lower here. And typically, when you have a very big surge in puts versus calls, that has typically been a market bottom. Uh, th those uh, those investors tend to be wrong almost every time. So you know, when we start to see big surges in the put call ratio, that's uh, that's actually a very contrarian indicator suggesting that you're very likely to get a bounce here. This morning, futures are up. The Dow's going to open up about 300 points this morning, the S&P up about 30. Now, that's not going to recover, you know, much of what was lost yesterday, but is encouraging that markets are trying to bounce off this support. And of course, a lot of this is being led right now by Microsoft because yesterday, Microsoft reported very good earnings uh, really across the board. And, you know, we have a, a several big kind of these FANG companies we've talked about before, the, the Facebooks, the Apples, the Netflix, the Googles. And, and of course, you know, Google, uh, sorry, Netflix, terrible earnings, big miss there, stock down 25%. Meta, Facebook, is down like almost 50% from its 52-week high. It's been a tremendous pressure. Now, they report earnings after the bell today, so that could be moving the markets as well tomorrow. So, Again, that stock is so beaten up and outlooks are so bad right now for Facebook. There's a real potential that Facebook could actually have a fairly good rally tomorrow, even if they just mildly beat earnings, um, just because it's been so negative on that stock uh, uh, you know, as well. So 
Again, if they miss earnings across the board and give weak guidance, that could certainly hurt the stock more. But that stock has really gotten beaten up. Um, a couple of the, the uh, other companies in the FANG stocks in that top 10, Tesla, of course, uh, but also uh, Microsoft, Apple uh, reporting later this week. And we had Google yesterday as well. Microsoft really much, pretty much beat across the board. Earnings were good. Stock's going to be up about 7.5% this morning. Uh, but that stock also coming off these recent lows here, very oversold. Um, this is actually a good position for the stock to have a rally. Now, you know where this where Microsoft goes from here will be important because it will help kind of set some of the directional tone for the NASDAQ really today more than anything else. Google, on the other hand, um, actually not reporting such good earnings. Actually, outlook for the quarter next quarter was weak missed earnings and revenue across the board. Stock was down yesterday uh, pretty sharply. Now the stock's gonna open up mildly, uh, kind of down about, uh, sorry, uh, Google opened down about 3% this morning. So it's certainly gonna kind of offset that uh, strength in Microsoft because again, on a market cap weighted basis, these are two kind of equal companies in terms of market cap. NASDAQ looks to open up about 70 points this morning, a lot of that being driven again by Microsoft, but Google is going to kind of weigh on, on the markets. Now, Google's actually broken important support here, so there is certainly some more downside to go uh, in Google before it finds its next level of support. But the stock, like a lot of other companies right now, extremely oversold. So I wouldn't be too uh, quick to jump in and try to buy Google here because there is some more risk, but I think we're probably getting fairly close to at least an intermediate term bottom in companies like Meta, like Google, like others. And again, we still have some more work to go. We're going to see what Apple says later this week. We've got Amazon coming up as well. Um, those are the, those other big holders kind of of the overall markets and, and that support that's really been there. So again, if we start to see a lot more weakness in what we call the generals, that's these big mega cap companies, that could lead to more downside pressure in the markets, at least kind of going out further into the summer. And again, that wouldn't be real surprising here because, you know, again, the economy is slowing down. Consumption is beginning to weaken. We are beginning to see things uh, really kind of across the board, we're seeing inventory start to rise, we're start, which is going to be disinflationary in terms of the economy. So again, as we kind of look at where to position, we've all been kind of chasing that inflation trade earlier this year. That looks to now be kind of peaking, and we're probably going to start looking for other areas uh, to actually migrate money to. One of the things that you know has been under a lot of pressures of late of course, has been treasuries, and, and those have actually been performing a lot better here over the last few days. We've actually seen uh, treasuries kind of bottom here and start to perform better as there's been this kind of risk-off rotation out of equities. So again, as we kind of look across the board, you know, things are starting to show some signs of improvement. Actually, in bonds, we've got a buy signal again early, a very, from a very, very oversold condition. Stock's still under pressure right now, but we've got the Federal Reserve coming up next week. Their outlook is going to be important. As we said you know, yesterday, if the Federal Reserve comes out, says, hey, we're going to hike 50 basis points, which is what the market already expects, and they start to make some notations that maybe inflation is peak. I'm not saying that's what they're going to say, but if they would say something like inflation may have peaked, that type of thing, we could see a fairly sharp reflexive rally in the markets because markets are so oversold right now. 
Uh, so a lot of investors very offside. Sentiment is very negative still. Positioning in markets is very light here. And because of that, that provides that fuel that if you get a change in sentiment of some sort, you're going to get a fairly sharp reflexive rally really kind of across asset classes and, and not just in large cap, but also in small cap, mid cap, which has been under a tremendous amount of pressure, emerging markets, et cetera. One of the things to keep a watch on, of course, keep a watch on bonds. What bonds are starting to tell us already is that A, inflation is likely behind us, deflation is gonna be a bigger issue and slower economic growth. Yesterday, the Atlanta Fed revised their first quarter GDP to 0.4%. Estimates now for first quarter growth are at 1.1%, down sharply from the 5.5% growth rate we were running in 2021. That's not surprising as liquidity comes out of the markets, but now there's starting to be some rumblings of more aid from the government. We'll see if that can get passed or not. Uh, be right back after the break. Pick up with Danny Ratliff. Got a lot of stuff to get into this morning about you, your money, the markets, and well, really just about everything else. Be right back on The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Real Investment the Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, Danny Ratliff uh, dragging in this morning to Wednesday. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. You? Yeah, doing all right. Doing okay. Uh, so Danny just showed me. I didn't even realize this. Uh, I'd written an article yesterday on our website talking about, you know, the why the bond bull is likely to return with a vengeance. And again, just looking at history and, you know, where, you know, where and what happens with bonds and interest rates at certain points in time. And he just showed me this morning that somebody from Market Watch picked the article up and rewrote it for <laughs> their front page article. So. <laughs> it's like, could just post my article, just not rip it off. It's okay. <laughs> uh, front and center. Hey, at least they quoted you. So yeah, exactly. exactly. It is mainly your article. It's true. It's I true. Thought, man, these guys are desperate. But what do they say? Imi imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's all good. Until so they rip you off. <laughs> no, no, no. But but I think Lance, this is a really good point because you yeah. know we talk about these things and what the market's doing. Obviously, many people are concerned. It's the bond market's down just as much as the stock market. Right. So even the more conservative portfolios have gotten a little bit more beaten up than what they historically would. And so I think this is a really important topic. And for people to understand that as these things change and the dynamics of the economy shift, there's likely going to be a return and a big change in policy, I think is going to be the bigger move. Yeah. Well, and, and again, you know, this is, you know, when you, when, you know, we talk about investing, right. And we just recently wrote an article about the, you know, the seven rules of investing long-term, those type of things. 
is that the one thing that we always do wrong as investors is, is that when things are down, we don't want to buy stuff, right? It's like, you know, markets are down 10%, 20%, whatever they are. It's like, oh, we don't want to buy them because they're going to go lower. And if you take a look at the NASDAQ as an example, just it's down 22%. That's one of the larger drawdowns that we've had in the last 12 years. But we don't want to buy it right now because we're all expecting it to go down 50% or 80% or whatever the number is. But as we talked about on Monday's article, there's, or sorry, in the newsletter this weekend, I apologize. Um, we, you know, there's a lot of companies that are already way down. There's, there's a large contingent of companies. Facebook, as an example, is down almost 50% from its peak. I mean, so, you know, a lot of these companies have already been taken out to the woodshed, so to speak, and there is beginning to be value in markets, but bond markets in particular, bond markets are down, you know, uh, 8, 10, 11% this year, depending on which bond markets you're looking at. That's historically equivalent to a 50% drawdown in the markets. You don't have, you know, 40, 50% drawdowns in bond markets, right? So you've already got a major bear market going in bonds. And you can tell this by all the people that are cringing in pain. I just got an email this morning uh, from a very nice lady. She's like, I'm really worried about my 401k plan. It's I'm down 8% for the year. And you know my bond funds are, are getting hurt. I'm all in bonds, so they're getting hurt. You know, I thought you know bonds aren't supposed to go down. And we and everybody has this this view that if you own bonds, they don't go down in price, and they do because just like you measure your stock portfolio relative to the S and P 500 index, so if the index goes up or down, you expect your stock portfolio to go up or down relative to the index. Same thing occurs with bonds, is that bonds go up or down relative to the rise or fall of interest rates. And there's no asset that you're investing in that doesn't contain risk. If you want no risk, buy a CD, right? It doesn't go up or down. It doesn't reprice. It always prices at a dollar. Money market funds price at a dollar. You have no variability. Anything outside of that, you're going to have a variability in price. And we've talked about, Danny and I have talked about this on the show before. In any investment, you can only have two of three outcomes. You can have safety of your principal, you can have liquidity of your capital, or you can have a return on your capital, but you can never have all three. You can have, if I've got money market, I've got safety and liquidity, right? I've got immediate access and no risk to the principal. If I want safety and return, I do bonds, Right, because well, individual the, uh, bonds, individual bonds, because bonds mature at face value. A CD matures at face value, but I can get a little bit of return on my money. If I want liquidity in return, I buy equities, but there's no safety. You can never have all three, so you've got to decide. And this is why asset allocation is so important, and why we run blended portfolios, etc. So, in order to get all three components of having safety, liquidity, and return, you have to own both stocks and bonds. And this is this is an important concept, but it doesn't mean the value doesn't change on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, but Lance, I get that people's you know concerns number one, but also the recency bias, and really it's not even recency, it's over the last you know three or four decades. We've been in such a bond bull market where rates have been declining, they've been ultra low. Um, there has not been a ton of risk in that aspect other than maybe some credit risk. And so now that people have become accustomed to you know storing funds there, you know, because they are concerned, 
you know, markets are at all time highs or were near that. And so obviously wanting to, you know, look at some place to protect and still get a little bit of interest. That has been a great place for years. It's just not so right now. But, you know, when you talk about the bigger picture of, you know, economic policy, you know, you've mentioned that mm-hmm. the Fed is way behind the curve. And we also seen, you know, all this, the stim- this stimulus, um, We've seen a number of different things that have caused this inflationary pressure. And yet now we still have, and it seems like the moment we think that it's going to subside, something else happens like Russia, Ukraine. Oh, China's shutting down parts of the country again. Mm. You know, all these things that are like, man, how much longer can we go with this? But at some point, that economic growth is going to be so tough, so difficult to sustain because these higher interest rates are going to really hurt it, which inevitably the Fed's going to have to fall back on that financial stability sword, especially, I think, really in a midterm election year. Right. No, no. And that's that's and it was interesting. I was driving in this morning um, and listening to the radio and, and they were talking about that, you know, COVID cases have come down a lot and people are starting to you know be less concerned about it. But that the there's a hang up right now in Washington over Title 42, which is has to do with the immigration at the border. But the what what the problem is and why they're trying to solve the Title 42 issue is so they can bundle that with another COVID aid package. Now, why, why do they want to pass another COVID aid package, right? Because we have inflation. But the reason we have inflation is because of the COVID aid packages that we did previously. So in order to combat inflation... We're going to pass more of the same bills that caused the inflation to start with, which if they do that, then, you know, we're going to we'll, we will get more sustained inflation. Right. So we're not really helping anybody by giving them more money. So hopefully what will happen is we'll get too close to uh, midterms and they won't be able to pass anything and inflation will be able to work its way out. We'll see what happens. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of different things that uh, people are going to have to stay really in tune with what's going on. And, and Lance, I think that, you know, this article that, you know, we initially started this conversation with is, is really important for people to understand as far as how the bond market works. It does have that inverse relationship with interest rates. And then not only that, you know, Lance, I've heard a lot of conversations or, hey, the market went down 2%, um, but then it goes up 2%, but I'm not back to even. Right. And, you know, and, and I think that's one thing that's, that's difficult to understand in the sense of, when we're going back up 2% and it's already gone down to, we're not working with this much money. Um, and so it's going to, it's not, it's going to take a little bit more to get back to where you previously were. And so be cognizant when you're, you're managing funds, you're understanding as far as where funds are going, you know, 401ks, Lance, I mean, lots of changes are coming. You know, we've talked about this over the last coming weeks or several weeks in the sense that, you know, there have been a lot of new bills out there to help provide more access to different types of investments within 401ks. We've talked about the annuities and how some some companies may not necessarily jump on that when they're allowed. But there's going to be some nice things that you can start to diversify funds into outside of your traditional asset classes. And the other one is crypto. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, crypto has been so hot. And now you're going to be, you know, Fidelity just announced this week that you're going to be allowed to put crypto inside of a 401k. And so what that exactly looks like, I'm not sure. I don't think it's going to be like you going to Coinbase, but they're going to allow some crypto ETFs, maybe mutual funds, things of that nature. I'm sure they have a product that they've created. Uh, But this is something that I think that, uh, you know, having access to it by the masses is not a terrible thing, but we need to understand the risks that are involved. Yeah, it's interesting that as we, you know, 
talk about this. Everybody's now making this, and this is usually the case, right? Wall Street's always a little bit kind of a day late and a dollar short. And, you know, in 2007, we were getting, and, and Danny will remember this, but we were getting inundated by, you know, real estate investment funds. Everybody was coming out with a real estate fund in 2007, right? And then 2008, not so good for these funds. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Now we're starting to get this move to include, you know, Bitcoin and, and a lot of different variations of retirement plans, pension plans, you know, accounts, etc. And really, a lot of the luster of Bitcoin has gone away. Um, Bitcoin has not been trading well. It's been correlated to the NASDAQ, unfortunately. And a lot of the meme traders that were all chasing Bitcoin have kind of really evaporated. We've seen, we haven't, you know, the, the, the love affair with owning Bitcoin has, you know, eroded significantly. There was a, you know, for a while, um, the guy that started uh, Real Vision, uh, Rao Powell was everywhere talking about Bitcoin going to the moon. This is when Bitcoin was running up and haven't seen much of him lately talking about Bitcoin. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just kind of the sign of the times is that by the time the Wall Street gets around to it, it's pretty much the move is over. Well, I mean, I think people see that the, you know, you, you hear all these stories and these articles about how much people have made mm -hmm. and we get that FOMO, the fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. And then you think, oh man, okay, I finally have accessibility to it because let's face it, a lot of people didn't have funds outside of the 401k to invest in yep. it. So, but what does it do from a perspective of, you know, really crypto has been more of a supply and demand type of scenario. There's no, what I mean, what's the real intrinsic value there? What does it do when the masses do have access to it? Are we indoctrinating people to saying, hey, you, you can see this push because more and more people out there trying sure. to buy it. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it could very well support, you know, if, if this gets widely adopted and people start putting a lot of money into Bitcoin, look, Bitcoin is finite. There's only so many coins out there. So, you know, you get more demand for it, it'll definitely push the price higher. So maybe Fidelity's just long a lot of Bitcoin they need to get out of. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so could, could be the case. All right. Be right back after the break. More stuff to get into. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com how do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families richard rosso and danny ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to ensure your income minimize your taxes and protect your real estate thursday may 12th at noon the most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com the truth about life insurance with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show And welcome back to the show this morning. So, of course, the big news yesterday was Elon Musk buying Twitter. And, you know, interestingly enough, pretty much he's financing the whole deal himself. In fact, this is the second largest leverage buyout in U.S. history that he's pretty much financing all by himself. Um, he's got about 
uh, 12 billion or so that's coming from actually about 21 billion that's actually coming from his own funds and then he's going to margin a big chunk of this with his Tesla stock as collateral uh, so that's about 12 and a half billion 21 billion is in cash and then the other 13 billion is a buyout loan from a conglomerate of Morgan Stanley Barclays Bank America um, BMP Mizuho uh, Sakjin and and uh, um, Mizuho uh, Security so you know it, it's interesting that you know he's he's making this purchase and he's pretty much financing it all by himself just kind of gives you a hint as to you know <laughs> just how much money he's got. Um, but again, a lot of it is coming from, you know, his own personal stash as well as, you know, leveraging against Tesla. So the only problem is, is for any reason, Tesla crashes in terms of stock price, right? That's where the margin loan comes. So if the stock price declines too much, then the banks are going to go to Elon and say, hey, we need another $12.5 billion worth of cash. Cough it up. Yeah, then, then there, so. here comes the additional tax bill. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm still seeing a lot of headlines or rumors saying, well, you know, Elon needs to pay his taxes. Like, wait a second. Do you realize how much money that, that guy's paid he, in taxes? He is, the, he, is the, he is paid more taxes than any human in history. It's amazing. Personally. So, in one year. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is, you know, this is the, you know, narrative of the left which has always been is that, oh, the rich don't pay their fair share. Look, statistics are pretty easy. All you have to do is go measure who pays what taxes. Ninety, You know, the top the top 20% of income earners pay roughly about 90% of the taxes. The bottom 30 to 40% of the economy actually get tax refunds. They don't pay any taxes at all. So, you know, there's, and then the middle class pay about, you know, pay pay the rest 10 to 15%. I mean, it's not difficult to figure it out. And look, everybody focuses on the big companies. They say, well, you know, Amazon makes billions of dollars, but they pay nothing in taxes. Well, that's the tax laws. And if you don't like the tax, if you don't like the fact that Amazon doesn't pay taxes, change the tax laws, right? They're just, they're just playing by the game. So if you don't like the game, you got to go change the, the rules of the game. Don't hate the players because they're just abiding by that. And, and you know, this is, this is the problem with our tax code. It's so complicated. It's so outdated. There's so many, you know, loopholes. And that's why companies like Amazon and GE and others have entire staffs of accountants and lawyers, tax lawyers, sitting around. And all they do is get paid all day long to figure out how to minimize their tax bill. Again, it's... Just playing by the rules. Well, that's what the wealthy do. And, and, you know, if you look at statistics, the Tax Foundation actually has a really nice study out that shows that the top 1%, in fact, has about 20% of the AGI in America, mm -hmm. but they pay about 40% of the taxes. Right. And then if you, you want to go even further, you know, 1% to 5% of top income earners pay an additional 20%. So you have almost 60% of income right there mm -hmm. or taxes being paid by the people in the top 5%. Right. But nobody wants to talk about that. No, no. This, but, but again, this is the, the problem with the narratives. And, you know, I, I, look, it's understandable, right? You know, if you're struggling to make ends meet and blah, 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 yeah, you know, hate the rich, right? It's just, that's just kind of, you know, it's kind of the go-to. And this, has been, this isn't something new, by the way. This has been, no. yeah. you know, throughout history in the 1800s, eat the rich, right? I mean, it's just been, 
this has been just a a you know reality of the socioeconomic status of every society and empire throughout history. So this is nothing new. And when it comes to taxation, you know, nobody likes paying taxes. Uh, one of the biggest conversations that Danny and I have on a regular basis is, you know, don't sell stuff because I don't want to pay taxes. You know, so the only way to avoid taxes in your investment for is sell everything at a loss. So if you've got a lot of losses right now, sell everything, you'll pay no taxes. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of those conversations recently where people are like, whoa, man, okay, I see some of these things are actually going down now. Yeah. And it hasn't mattered for a long time because everything's been going up. Right. But now people are panicked saying, oh, shoot, what do I do now? And the conversation is, hey, you can realize some of these taxes. And, and that's not going to be a terrible thing because then you're going to have the ability to have raise some cash, mm -hmm. have the ability to go in and buy some things, hopefully at a discount. Right. And that's the problem that many people have is that they, they sit, they wait, and they say, well, we're going to wait, wait, wait. And you don't have a whole lot of flexibility then. No. Yeah, but, but this is why investors typically buy high because they think the market's going to do nothing but go up and they're missing out. And then they sell low because they wind up trying to hold on to stuff, not wanting to pay taxes or whatever it is until eventually it's just like, I can't afford to lose any more money. And then they sell the, they sell the bottom. And that's what, you know, that's what we're going to see again. Um, you know, there's a lot of people expecting that the markets are going to go down 50, 60, 70 percent. And as we talked about in this weekend's newsletter, that's already happened in a lot of stocks. There's a lot of, of companies out there that are down a tremendous amount. And there is real value starting to show up in pockets of the market. Now, it's not everywhere. It's not the indexes. So if you're passive indexing, you know, that's one thing. But if you're buying individual equities, there's real value out there in some areas you just have to be willing to look for it. And and again, you know, two years ago, we were talking about the value in energy companies. Now everybody's long energy. That trade's likely over with for now. Because as we get back into a more deflationary environment, that's going to begin to underperform. So, you know, the but the, but now nobody wants to sell their energy companies because A, they, they hope they're going to keep going up, and B, they don't want to pay the taxes. So here you are back in the trap. Well, and I, I think you have that, and then you also have that everybody's looking at, okay, we're getting a seasoning stronger part of the year. People will be traveling more, so mm. hopefully more fuels used. Um, and then, obviously, supply chain constraints. And then news about Russia, I think, is is really impacting a lot of people. I mean, you hear Poland is no longer going to be able to get oil from Russia. What is that overall broad impact? I mean, they're going to have to get it from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, they'll get it from somewhere. And look, production is uh, going to increase in certain areas. And and look, I'm not saying that this is going to, you know, energy prices are going to solve themselves in one month or two months or three months. But the reality is, is that you're already getting slower economic growth. Demand will fall. And as demand falls, you're going to get lower prices. And that's just a function of, of basic economics. It's just, and, and it's a question of timing. Right. Again, we're not talking about stuff that, you know, tomorrow, you know, sell everything today and, you know, tomorrow it's all going to crash. Not selling that at all. Not saying that at all. But the point is, is that the 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 big push for a lot of this run up in oil prices that we've had over the last you know year or so from when we were trading negative oil prices in you know in May of twenty one, that's mostly behind us. So it's you know so now the question becomes what happens next, and generally things change. That, and that's really the message of the market is that things change and things always will change. And, you know, whatever is plaguing the markets now will get resolved in one manner or the other. 
and we're going to move on. There will be an end to Russia's invasion to Ukraine. Markets will go back to working and, and operating normally. We will begin to ship sunflower oil again so that people can make fish and chips, right? I mean, this is, you know, these are all the things, these are all these supply constraints that are occurring right now, but that all gets resolved at some point. So you've got to start looking ahead to saying, where do I want to be? you know, in six months or nine months or a year, and then start looking for those opportunities now because they exist. Well, not only that, a handful of things could occur that I think would probably be pretty positive for the market. One, you see, you know, the Russia-Ukraine invasion stop, you know, the war there. Um, China shutting down certain areas again, if you see that subside. Um, maybe they change policy a bit. And then obviously the Fed, I think, is probably what the bigger driver of all, of all three. Right. Well, yeah. And again, if they start hiking rates, Tightening monetary policy, which is already occurring, that's going to bring down demand more. That's going to start to slow. Why, why does the Fed hike rates? To slow demand so you get less inflation. That's it. I mean, that's that's the whole magic formula to price stability in, in terms of the Fed. Which so, is already occurring. We're already right. seeing higher rates without them having to really act a whole lot. Right. And so, yeah, and the, and the question will be is how much can they actually hike rates before they break something? That's the real question. The real question is, is how much can the Fed actually hike rates before they break something? That's that's what everybody's trying to figure out. And we'll see what happens. Anyway, um, you got an event coming up Saturday. We do. So we're going to combating inflation and retirement. This is going to be good for anybody who's leading up to retirement, maybe actually already even in retirement. I think this is important because lots of moving parts, but we want to talk about things we can control. Also talk about where are places you can put money right now. Um, and before you get them all excited, you might want to tell them where it is. Yeah, that's where I was going. To. <laughs> so this is going to be in Austin. So this will be in Austin, Texas at the Renaissance Austin Hotel. We'd love to have you guys out. If you're in the area, go sign up. We'd love to see you there. Uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. Go to the events tab. Actually, when you sign up or pull up realinvestmentadvice.com, should be right there front and center. It is. And, you know, so this is actually a great way to have a little sneak off vacation with the wife. You know, tell her you're going to sneak her away to Austin for the weekend, rent a room at the Renaissance Hotel. It's a money-saving event, honey. Bounce down to the, bounce down to, you know, while she's sleeping in, she can order room service and have breakfast delivered. You pop down to the, to the conference room at the, at the bottom of the hotel, you know, get caught up on your retirement planning and then pop back up and take her to lunch and go walk around Austin for the weekend. So there, I just saved you. And honey, this is we're finding out how to save more money in retirement. So I mean, this is going to go. No, a lot you don't longer. even you don't even tell her. You just say, "Hey, I'm going to go downstairs. There's an interesting thing going on. You just relax. Order some room service." Oh man, it's it's How's an early it's you? an early late birthday present. Just get away for the weekend. Yeah, Mother's Day. There, I forgot that. That's right. That is coming up. It's an early Mother's Day getaway weekend. All right, we'll see if it works. There is limited seating, though, so you need to sign up pretty quick if you're going to do this. So, all right, be right back after the break.
get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people in the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So I'm chuckling this morning. This is an article from May of 2021. Kathy Wood revealed that Bill Wang, the investor whose family office, uh, Archigo Capital, uh, blew up and, and it cost billions of dollars uh, in investor losses, played a central ro- role in the launch of ARC Investments. Now, of course, this is Kathy Wood. ARC Investments, uh, the ARC Fund, et cetera, have about $22 billion under management uh, at, at this time. Now, it's, it's much less than that now because the fund's down about 50%. So do the math. Um, <laughs> there's an interesting line here. Wood, Kathy Wood, like Wang, a devout Christian who named ARC after the gold-covered chest described in the book of Exodus, said she met the former hedge fund manager when they were both advisors to a religious group that ministers to young people on Wall Street. This morning, breaking news, April 22nd, 27th, 2022, federal agents arrested Bill Wang this morning, the owner of Archigo Capital Management, the $10 billion family office that imploded last year, costing their investors billions of dollars. Mr. Wang and his former top lieutenant, Patrick Halligan, were arrested at their homes and are expected to appear in Manhattan federal court later today. Uh, said the men are charged with racketeering, conspiracy, securities fraud, wire fraud in connection with a scheme to manipulate the prices of publicly traded stocks in order to boost returns. I am not sure that is what the good Lord had in mind for a devout Christian. Just saying. There's kind of this, uh, there's kind of this really set of 10 rules you're supposed to follow, and one of them is thou shall not steal. I mean, just just throwing that out there, just... You know, put that out there in the air just to let that circulate around. They said the plan relied heavily on leverage, helping pump up the firm's portfolio from $1.5 billion to $35 billion in a single year. And, of course, not surprisingly, it all ended in ruins. So this is the point. When things seem to be too good to be true, they probably are. And, you know, one thing that we've talked about a lot is, you know, a lot of the narrative that was post-March 2020 in terms of driving asset prices higher. A lot of speculative fervor, frenzy, had a lot of, you know, retail investors, young, young children. And, in fact, I wrote an article uh, previously about, you know, how teenagers were getting on these apps like Robinhood and you know they were investing what money they had into the financial markets and making money hand over fist and there were all these young individuals with really no financial experience whatsoever 
you know, getting very famous on YouTube, having investing channels and talking about investing and things like that. And they were making millions of dollars in, in, in advertising revenue, et cetera. Um, what they call affiliate advertising, where they would, you know, use their channel to promote other people's products and they get paid for it. So they made, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in, in revenue because of this speculative frenzy that was going on in the market caused by the federal government sending checks to households, right? Everybody had a lot of excess cash. You couldn't gamble. So if your thing previously had been to, you know, bet on horses, you know, baseball, football, whatever, stocks became the new ticket to gambling. And, you know, there was even uh, uh, Portnoy who ran Barstool Sports. And, you know, he was on, streaming a, a YouTube channel every day, picking Scrabble letters out of a bag and buying stocks of whatever, you know, letters he picked out of a bag. You know, that all ended just as you would expect it did and very badly. But that kind of the speculative fervor and, and frenzy caused by greed and, and, as Danny mentioned earlier, FOMO, right, the fear of missing out, is what led to these massive returns and things like Bitcoin and other speculative assets. And, and that's all these things are, is, is speculative assets. You know, there's this, you know, the, the narrative, right, I, the, the narrative initially for Bitcoin was is that, you know, we can't have U.S. dollars because that's a fiat currency. What's a fiat currency? A fiat currency is something that is backed by nothing other than the full faith and guarantee of the federal government. What's behind Bitcoin? Nothing. It's fiat just like everything else is fiat. There's, there's not an asset sitting behind there that you can exchange that for. In fact, the only asset behind Bitcoin is U.S. dollars. Because in order to use Bitcoin, unless you have another... In other words, if I can buy swap Bitcoin with Danny for a good or service or, or that he's providing me, and I can just basically swap Bitcoin with him. If I want to use my Bitcoin to go shop on Amazon, I've got to convert it back to dollars to use it. So, you know, it's, it's important, but, you know, we come up with these narratives to support ideas and we come up with these narratives to support this kind of greed factor, right? It's, it's like, we know this is insane, but we're going to come up with this really stupid excuse as to why it makes sense. <laughs> you know, like low interest rates justify high valuations. No, they don't. <laughs> it's just high valuations are high valuations. It just doesn't mean they're going to crash right now. But eventually it all does, and it's just a function of time. And we're seeing that problem now. And in fact, a lot of those individuals that were running YouTube channels making millions of dollars are now gone. You don't hear about them in the media anymore. Yeah, it's all gone quiet. No yeah. more Reddit board, you know, every day on Oh, on no, the Reddit boards are hysterical. If, if the Reddit boards are absolutely hysterical because it used to be, YOLO, how much money am I making every day? Now yeah. the joke is, is how much money I'm losing every day. Yeah, but nobody nobody wants to talk about that, right? And so you don't see it on all the big headline news. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Robinhood's laid off 9 or, or is laying off. They just announced yesterday 9% of their full-time employees. That's right. What's the reasoning behind that? You think people are yeah, less trading volume? Yeah, of course. And now they've also gotten nailed. And then again, so two things that happen. How does, and this is a good example, right? Robinhood, how do they make their money? You know, there's nothing free in life. There's nothing free. Everything costs you. You know, so the free trading sounds great until you realize that what Robinhood was doing was accumulating all those orders, selling them to Citadel for hundreds of millions of dollars, that Citadel would then front-run your order 
and give you a worse execution, but Citadel was making money off of your money. So, you know, you're leaving money on the table. It's costing you money. You may not see it, but it's costing you money. And so now when trading orders, trading volume slows down because now all these youngsters that were trading on Robinhood don't have any money to invest anymore because they've now lost it all. As that trading revenue falls, that means they have less order flow to sell to Citadel to make money. And that's, and again, if I'm not charging you to make money on the trade, I've got to be making money somewhere else. I got to pay bills. Netflix, good example of this, right? Netflix having, you know, having problem with subscribers. Well, in order to keep doing my ad spend and or my uh, production spend and everything else to support the Netflix model, I've got to have revenue. And if subscribers fall off, that's why they're now starting to chase multiple logins. You know, Danny's got like 5,000 kids, right? So they're going to, and then, you know, so his, the number of subscriptions he's sharing across his household, right? They're going to start cracking down on that trying to make some additional revenue. Now they're talking about launching a service where they're going to include advertising. So now I'm going to watch Netflix and get ads I've got to watch. I'll just watch regular television for free, right? I mean, you know, because the programming is not any better. <laughs> if I've got to watch ads, then I'll just watch regular television. So, you know, but this is the point is that now, you know, everybody's starting to figure out that I've got to make money. And if trading volume slows, don't be surprised if all of a sudden, some of these firms start charging you commissions to trade stuff because they've got to make money somewhere. Just something to think about. Well, that's an inter interesting point, especially as we move into a different part of the, the business cycle here and, you know, looking at the bigger picture from increasing interest rates, we've mm -hmm. talked about how that impacts small businesses. You know, there's going to be some, some other impacts in other areas that people aren't even considering at the moment. Oh yeah. Well, look, and one of the worst things we did to the financial markets was decimalization. And then the second worst, actually, that was the second worst thing we did. The first worst thing we ever did to the financial markets was free trading. Um, you know, history shows, study after study shows that the more people trade, the more money people lose, right? So, you know, it, it, you know, back in the day when you had to pay a commission to trade and the spreads were in a quarter or an eighth or whatever they were, uh, depending on, on the point in time, trading was slower. Uh, holding periods were between five and six years for stocks. So you'd buy a stock, you'd hold it for five or six years, and then you would sell it. And then we decided that everybody needed immediacy of information. You need to be able to watch your, your portfolio every tick of every day. And then we wanted to make it faster and easier for you to trade. Since then, holding periods are now down, down to less than five months. And performance for investors is turning worse. I'm, I'm writing an article right now uh, talking about this very same thing. In fact, when I was doing, I was interviewing with uh, Charles Payne on Fox Business last week. He asked me about a statement I made, which was after three of the most of the largest bull market rallies in history, 80% of Americans can't pay their bills. You know, that tells you a lot about the success of investing for most individuals over time. And of course, the reason that people don't invest, they don't have cash flow to invest. And if they do have cash flow to invest, it's psychology, which is 50% of the reason people underperform markets is psychology. Just buy high, sell low, you know, all, you know, all the, you know, all the rules, right? And that's, that's the funny thing, Lance, everybody knows all the rules and actually probably not funny, more uh, you know, disappointing. We all know the rules to right. play by, but yet so many do just don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it's just, it just goes against the grain to buy stuff. You know, if I said today, you know, buy Facebook. Stock's down 57, you know, four, almost, it's down 47%, probably closer to 50 now. Um, you know, buy Facebook, it's trading at 12 times earnings. Nobody wants to buy it because everybody's assuming it's going to zero. 
I, I mean, I'm not saying buy Facebook, by the way. I'm using it as an example. But the point is, is that we don't want to buy stuff that is completely beaten up and in a bear market because we assume it's all going to zero. But that's that's the important part about investing is buying stuff when nobody else wants it. That's where you make money. Yep, there's still value there. You just need to find it. Exactly. All right, wrap up the show for the day. Danny, thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, be sure and sign up if you want to take your lovely wife to Austin for the weekend and stay at the Renaissance Hotel and join us for our event on Saturday morning, our Combating Inflation and Retirement. Uh, go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, get the address, location, make your reservations now, and be sure and sign up so we'll have a seat for you for the seminar. It's a great way to spend your weekend. <laughs> it's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for the next edition of the show right here, realinvestmentadvice.com.